from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta, welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. Our first scripture lesson this morning is from the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. I'll be reading verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Our second text is from the book of James. From the first chapter, verses 2 through 4, continue to listen to God's word to you and to me. My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kind, consider it nothing but joy, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, break open uh, these texts afresh to us. Would you do what you must do to break down any barriers in our hearts or in our minds and our ears so that we may hear a word from you, trusting that even in frail and incomplete mortal words, that a glimpse of your truth can be embraced and can be realized, truth that can change us, even to be more like your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we make this prayer. Amen. We are uh, now in the fifth week of our uh, six-week sermon series called Share the Dream. Uh, The series has been inspired by uh, a a new curriculum that was produced and published by HarperCollins, Uh, bearing the same name earlier, or late last year rather. And each week during this series, we have looked at a theological principle that rooted and grounded the life and ministry of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. So far, we've reflected on the theological principle of love, conscience, justice, and freedom. Next week, Barry will close this series on the theological theme of hope. And today, we're going to focus our attention on the theme of perseverance, the theological notion of endurance. Uh, on April 10, 1960, uh, Dr. King spoke at Spelman College right here in Atlanta. And in that speech, he delivered, I think, one of his most motivational lines, one of the most motivating and compelling lines of any speech he ever delivered. When speaking at Spelman about the quest for justice and freedom, He said, if you can't fly, run. 
If you can't run, walk. If you can't walk, crawl. But by all means, keep moving. If you can't fly, run. If you can't run, walk. If you can't crawl, if you can't walk, crawl. But by all means, keep moving. Keep moving. Despite the obstacles, despite the persecution, despite the setbacks, despite the impediments, he would constantly encourage those fighting for civil rights to keep their eye on the prize and keep moving forward. King was constantly calling advocates for civil rights to a life of perseverance, calling them to press on. Well, in today's nomenclature, the word perseverance has been replaced by the trendier and more hip and popular term grit. Grit. And this is largely due to an educator and a researcher and author named Dr. Angela Duckworth. Some of you are familiar with her theories and her research. She spent her career trying to understand what makes people successful. What makes people successful? And here's the question that's anchored her professional journey. Is there a trait, is there a single attribute, is there a single characteristic that is ubiquitous and universally observable in highly, in high achieving people, in successful people? Is there one single quality that rises above all others that we can find in highly successful people? Well, in her best-selling book, uh, she argues that there is such an attribute, something that is a better predictor of success than anything else, including intelligence, including physical attributes, including academic success, and including so-called natural talent. She calls it grit. And, and grit is a combination of passion and perseverance over a long, sustained period of time. According to Duckworth, grit is a capacity to persevere. Grit is a capacity to endure. It involves displaying exceptional resilience and diligence to the extent that one is prepared to endure challenges, obstacles, and even setbacks. But grit is not just about perseverance. Grit is also about passion. It's about having a deep passion for something. It means to aim for something of great value and importance and endure till that thing is achieved or realized. Even when faced with tedious and frustrating and painful tasks, the passion for this thing is so great that it keeps us moving forward. Now, Duckworth has gained quite a following among the Harvard Business Review, the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and the Forbes reading crowd. Uh, but many social scientists have been critical of her research and also critical of her theory. And the criticism comes in part at her lack of attention to social and systemic factors that may impact whether someone or not is successful, like socioeconomic conditions or access to resources or inequalities when it comes to determining success. For example, critics of Duckworth argue that a young person may have grit. A young student may be gritty, but the school they attend is substandard or they are food insecure or they know not a single person in their family who went to college. It could be the case that that student has grit 
but it's not enough to win the bad hand that they've been dealt. If grit is the most important factor in success, and if that student is not successful, is it fair to say that they did not succeed because they weren't gritty enough? Is that fair to say? Blame the kid for not working hard enough because if they tried harder, if they had more grit, they would have been successful. Successful people are gritty people. The critique expands and maybe expands even into areas that may resonate with us this morning. To say that grit is the most important factor or predictor of success will certainly do a number on those who work their tail off to pass the MCATs or the LSATs or the bar exam but came up short. Or the alcoholic who has fallen off the wagon yet again and is back in inpatient treatment for the fifth time in 10 years. Or the one who pursued professional development and new trainings and yet still can't find uh, viable employment in their area or industry. Or the one who pursued their love interest with great intention and great affection, but still that relationship never came to fruition. Or the one who did everything they could do to save their marriage, but still ended up divorced. Or the one who longs for a deeper connection to God, who shows up for worship on a day like today, who prays every night and every morning, but is still going through the dark night of the soul, still feeling disconnected and very far from God. What do we say to those folks? You just need more grit. You just need more endurance. Next time you'll succeed if you just put more into it. You need to be more gritty if you want to be successful. There is, I know it's obvious to you, there is a conflict here. There's a conflict between the idea that grit is the most important factor in success and it conflicts with the idea that people succeed and fail for a variety of reasons. And sometimes the truth is gritty people fail. And it's not because they didn't try hard enough. With all that said, what I'd like to do for the remainder of the sermon is to suggest that a biblically informed theology of grit, you like that theology of grit? That a biblically informed theology of grit will actually help us navigate this conflict. But even more than that, I think a biblically informed theology of grit will actually reframe how we think about perseverance and how we think about endurance in our life with God and our life in this world. Now, I want to start by letting you know that the Greek word for perseverance, which sometimes is also translated as endurance, and that word shows up in both the texts that Barry and I read this morning, that particular word shows up 32 times in the New Testament. 32 times in the New Testament. That's not an insignificant number. And when it shows up in the New Testament, it's used in one of three ways. First, sometimes it's used to encourage people to endure suffering or persecution. To endure suffering or persecution because of their faith, because of who they are, because of their commitment to Christ. Another way it's used is to remain obedient to Christ despite the circumstances, to hold fast to one's faith and persevere in that faith no matter what's happening in your life. And third, there's a sense of endurance or perseverance when we're waiting, when we're waiting. 
right? That we're waiting for God's deliverance and redemption. We're waiting for God to show up in a new and powerful way. And we're called to persevere and endure in that time of waiting. When, when we look at these texts, I, I think we glean from them three theological truths that shape our understanding of perseverance. Three theological truths that sort of build this theology of grit that I want to present to you uh, this morning. And I'm going to take each one in turn. And I'm going to begin with this idea. And this may be the most important idea. That grace precedes grit. Grace precedes grit. This, of course, is a very Protestant thing to say. Uh, remember, from the perspective of salvation, the perspective of eternity, we're not saved by our works. We're not saved by our efforts, no matter how long or how well we endure. We're saved by grace and grace alone. In other words, we're made right with God by God's grace. We receive salvation and everlasting life with God, not because we are spiritually or morally gritty, we receive salvation not because we've done something, but because God has done something in and as the person of Jesus Christ. But the Christian also knows that grace precedes grit on this side of eternity as well, in this age. Our very existence, our very lives only are because of grace. The breath in your lungs, the people in our lives who love us, only because of of grace. The church exists only because of grace. It's all grace. And when we in bold humility acknowledge that it's all grace, then we're ready to persevere. Then we're ready to be gritty. Then we're ready to endure. There's a wonderful story from the Gospel of John. It comes from John chapter 5. Some of you may have heard it before. For some of you, it may be totally brand new. Back in ancient Israel, there was a pool outside of uh, the city gate that surrounded Jerusalem. And there was a legend about this particular pool. That every once in a while, an angel would come into this pool, into this body of water, and disturb the water. Stir it up. And once it was stirred up, whoever was the first person to get into that pool, they would be healed. And so what you had during that time was a bunch of people who were infirmed, diseased, had physical issues, had mental issues, who were all coming to this pool waiting for this angelic disturbance to stir the water, and then hopefully they're the first person in to be healed. One of the folks who happened to be there on this particular day was a man who was paralyzed for 38 years. He could not walk. And Jesus was there, and he came near to him and asked, Do you want to be healed? I've always imagined the man looking up at him, puzzled and saying, Of course I do. Right? Like, that's why I'm here, Rabbi. But every time the water stirs, every time the water stirs, I have no one to help me get into the pool. And it was at that moment that Jesus instructed him to get up, to take his mat and walk. And immediately the man stood up. He picked up his mat and he walked. And here's what the Christian knows from that story that every one of us is like that man on that mat. We're longing for healing, we're longing for just a little bit of help. 
We're longing for things to be made right. We're longing for understanding and purpose and clarity of meaning and the hardship and pain of life. And it's Christ who calls to each one of us. He calls us to stand up and to walk and to keep walking, to persevere, even though we're going to get tripped up, even though we're going to fall. And for some of us, we're going to fall really, really hard. But we also know that Christ's grace is sufficient to get us to our feet once more so that we can endure, so that we can walk on. Because grace always precedes grit. Second, the Christian knows that success is not just measured by external outcomes because perseverance does its best work from the inside out. Perseverance does its best work from the inside out. In the book of James, chapter 1, verse 4, it's what I read. The text says, and let endurance complete its work. Let endurance, perseverance, complete its work so that you may be complete and whole, lacking in nothing. That's such an interesting idea. It doesn't say let your endurance complete its work in you so that you can achieve the success you're aiming at. No, it's, it's actually saying so that you can become something, something different than you were before. Now, that word complete is really interesting in the New Testament. It describes the process of maturation where something or someone is maturing into the thing or person they were meant to be. Think of wine in this uh, example. A wine that's just been bottled, just been corked, is not ready to drink a week later, right? You don't want to drink that wine after it's just been corked. There are too many tannins which give it this bitter and astringent taste. But over time, as the wine matures, as it completes the process, the tannins dissipate and the wine takes on its own bouquet and this smooth and rich flavor without any bitterness. And that is a process of completion, of maturation, of becoming something it was meant to be. So let endurance complete its work so that you may be complete and whole and lack in nothing. What the writer's saying is, is the work of perseverance is the work of maturation. It's the work of transformation in the individual heart. For what? So that we can be whole. So that we can be complete. So that we can be mature. Perseverance is not just about successful outcomes. Instead, it's about how we're maturing, how we're transforming, how we're becoming more of the person God is calling us to be through the process of endurance. Here's an example that will ultimately serve as an analogy of what I'm trying to get at. When Johnny, our older son, uh, was in middle school and high school, he played basketball, and there was a kid in the program at Pace Academy who was uh, the epitome of dedication and perseverance. Like, he was the epitome of those qualities and traits. He attended every coach's clinic. He attended every mandatory and non-mandatory workout. He lifted weights. He ran in the off-season. He had a coach, a private coach in the off-season. He literally walked around in those late middle school and early high school years with a basketball in his hand. Like he'd walk around his neighborhood. He'd walk in school with a basketball in his hand because it was his goal to play varsity basketball. That was his goal. And he was gritty. 
He was gritty. But grit wasn't enough to achieve the success of making the team. Now, the grit evangelist might say, well, he needed to be grittier. And the grit opponent might say, see, you can persevere and still come up short. But here's the insight from our text from James. Through the endurance process, that young man was becoming more of the person God was calling him to be. He actually grew in discipline and grew in self-control. He grew in learning how to deal with disappointment and failure. He grew in resilience and he grew in his interpersonal skills. And today that young man is thriving. And part of the reason he's thriving is the internal maturation that comes with the process of endurance, whether or not we attain the success we're aiming at. Here's the big idea. Perseverance does its best work from the inside out. From the inside out. One final thought. Christian perseverance's ultimate aim is Jesus Christ. The writer of Hebrews put it like this. Barry read it for us. Let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Jesus is our telos. He's our focal point. He is our standard. And we are called to take up our mat and walk. And we walk in a particular way. We walk following him, following in his footsteps. Now this is really important. It doesn't mean that we don't have ambition or we don't have goals or that we don't quest for external success in our lives, not at all. But it does mean that we read ambition, that we read our goals, that we read our quest for success through the lens of Christ. In other words, if I'm going to commit to this goal, if I'm going to endure to achieve this success, will it glorify Christ in the end? Will it help me be more aligned with who Christ is calling me to be with his faith, hope, and love? Will it help me be more generous or just or merciful and kind? If the answer to any of these questions is no, then perhaps we need to reconsider if that successful outcome is worth pursuing or persevering for in the first place. So friends, I hope that we all can adopt a theology of grit. It's different than what the world tells us about grit in this conflict. The first and foremost, we know that grace always precedes grit. That second, success is not just measured by external outcomes because perseverance does its best work inside out. And third and finally, Christian perseverance, ultimate aim is Jesus Christ. And we're called to take up our mat, walk and follow him, to endure, to persevere all along the way. May it be so in our life for the sake of the gospel and the sake of the world. Amen.